Good morning. That's great because I couldn't live without the table. Right. Up to this point in our study of Jonah, we have been studying Jonah, God's call to Jonah, and um, we've seen how God brought Jonah to a point where he was willing to obey his word. We're going to take a real shift this morning in our study. The, the passage takes a real shift, and we're going to see that it actually begins to talk about the message that God had for the people of Nineveh. Then we're going to look at their response to that message. And then finally, we're going to see how God responded to the people of Nineveh uh, after they heard and responded to his message. So with that just brief introduction, I want you to, if they'll put up the passage, and we're going to look at God's message to Nineveh. We're going to begin and go back to um, Jonah chapter 1. This is, this is the call that God originally gave to Jonah. He said, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of uh, Amatatii. That's poorly pronounced. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. And then we'll go to, over to chapter 3. And let's just read the introduction to chapter 3. And again, we'll see what the message was. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time... Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. What was God's message to Nineveh? What was it? Yell it out. Forty days and you will be destroyed. Now, what do you think about that message? Jonah really came to preach an uplifting, upbeat, encouraging message, didn't he? You know, when I read that message and you look at it, I really started to think, not very positive. Matter of fact, I think I understand why Jonah fled. You remember what Chris told us about the people of Nineveh? What kind of people were they? Evil, wicked. If you remember, he even kind of showed us some, some photographs that they have from history that kind of depict some of the torturous things that they did. They weren't just a wicked people or an evil people. They were one of the most cruel people and nations that this world has ever known when we look back at their history. And Jonah was told, go preach this message to them. Judgment. You're about to be destroyed. Quite a message, isn't it? Very straightforward, very clear. Let me ask you a question. If somebody came to Clarksville, stood out on our street corners, and yelled, Clarksville is about to be destroyed, what would you think of him? That's the first thing I thought of, too. I think he's absolutely crazy, right? So we think he was crazy. What else might we think of him? He's a fanatic. That's a good word to use. Uh, sometimes, if someone preaches a message like that, we tend to respond with anger, right? You tell me I'm going to be destroyed. Who do you think you are? And we kind of respond with anger. I'm going to tell you, you know, if you're going to say that to me. And then some of us, the ones with bigger hearts, might say, boy, I feel sorry for that person. You know, he needs to get some help. And let's take him somewhere and get him some help. Now, 
when I think about you put yourself in the shoes of the people of Nineveh, one of the greatest cities in the world at that time, a great nation, becoming one of the greatest nations in the world at that time, and this foreigner comes in and starts pronouncing judgment upon them, saying, in 40 days, you are going to be destroyed. How would you expect the people of Nineveh to respond to that message? That's one way, I guess. Uh, well, I, I don't know about you, but my first thought is, how would they respond? Kind of like we did, would have, if that someone came to Clarksville to preach that message. We'd respond, let me get on the other side of that microphone. We'd respond with um, anger. Who do you think you are? Especially since it's some foreigner coming in from a foreign land, coming in and telling us that we're going to be destroyed, right? Uh, anger, maybe. Yeah, I would think that his life might have even been threatened. Probably a lot of people mocked him, made fun of him, thought he was crazy at this point. Now, we're going to see as we read through the passage that that's not how Nineveh responded. And in fact, we're going to see that they actually believed Jonah when he said in 40 days you're going to be destroyed. One of the things that struck me is why in the world would they have believed Jonah? Any guesses? Why would they have believed Jonah's message? Because he looked like a ghost. There's somebody that was here last week, right? Because last week Chris told us that it, there's a historically documented uh, incident where a man was inside of, I think he said it was a great white shark or, or a, a whale, but it was a large fish. He was inside of a fish for a few days, and when he came, uh, for a certain amount of time, when he came out, he had, his skin had been bleached because of the acids and the, the chemicals inside the fish's body. I think it was a whale, if I remember the story right. Well, that's a real possibility. There's something about Jonah about his message, something about him verified to the people that what he was saying was true. Now remember, Jehovah, God, Jehovah God, Jonah's God, was not the God of the people of Nineveh. So he was not coming to them and saying, your God says that you're about to be destroyed. He was coming to them saying, my God, Jehovah, the God of Israel, says that you are about to be destroyed. <clears throat> Let's, look at, let's go ahead and look at what Nineveh's response was. If we can put up the uh, second passage of scriptures, please. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps, even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Again, the question that, that, that jumps out there is, what was their response to this message of doom and destruction? Well, they believed it. That's the first thing the passage tells us. It says that they believed this uh, message. We know that they believed it because they did something else, right? They acted upon that belief. And we see that in the passage as well. It says that they repented, which and that's a word that we use a lot in the church. It's a very biblical word. 
And what it simply means is they turned from the way they were living, which was doing what they wanted to do against God's will, walking in their sinful, cruel ways. They turned from that direction. They quit doing that, and they began to obey God's will. They repented. That's one of the words that that we hear all the time. We don't really talk a whole lot about what it means, but that's all it means is we turn from following our own will to follow God's will. What else did they do? Part of that repentance was, and in here he talks about, that they declared a fast and they put on burlap to show their sorrow. You may not even know what burlap is. I used to see burlap sacks a lot when I was a young boy. I haven't seen one in a long time. But burlap, that's kind of the manufactured burlap that we have here in the United States, is certainly not very, something very comfortable. What's the idea of fasting and putting on burlap? The idea is they were humbling themselves. They were showing, trying to make an outward symbol to God, to God saying that, yes, we recognize that what we have done is wrong and that we're sorry for living the way that we have been living. And the final thing they did, they believed the message, they repented, they turned from their, the direction they were headed, they turned towards following God, and then the final thing they did was they prayed for mercy. The passage says, everyone, the king commanded, everyone must pray earnestly to God. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Let's hold on to that thought, and we'll come back to that in just a few minutes. The next part of the passage, the last verse in Jonah chapter 3, tells us what God's response was to this action by the um, people of Nineveh, to their belief and repentance. And what we see is it says, When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. The uh, New Living Translation finishes that verse, he had threatened, and it actually threatens kind of their modern interpretation of what it says is that God did not do what he said he was going to do. What was it that he said he was going to do? Destroy, right? So when it says that God decided not to destroy the people, he had, he had declared and decreed that he was going to destroy them, and he said that he would not do what he was going to do. Now, um, so God relented from the punishment that he had decreed for the people of Nineveh. Now remember, what kind of people were these? Evil, bad, and I'm telling you, those words are not strong enough to describe the people of Nineveh. They were, they, they, their reputation is one of the cruelest nations uh, in the world at that time. And when we look back at what they did, they've raised to my mind the comparisons to the kinds of things that happened in Nazi Germany, the torture that took place in those uh, concentration camps. So these are not people that were kind of half bad you know, are kind of semi-bad. They were the worst uh, of the people at that time. You think of it, can you think of another example in the Bible where God decreed that a nation would be destroyed or a city in particular would be destroyed? Let's go back to Old Testament. It's one of the earliest ones, and, and it's probably an unfair question for many of you. Some of you so there's two cities that were named together. You remember that? Very good. They were declared, right? God declared that he was going to destroy them. Remember he told Abraham that he was going to destroy them, and you if you kind of remember that incident, Abraham begged God not to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he, and he started off with, you know, God, if there are 50 people there, please don't destroy it. And God said, I won't do it. If there, and there weren't 50 people there. So Abraham said, if there are 40, and then he kept going down in numbers. 
And he could not come up with a number of righteous people in the city so that God would stop his determined destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you remember he had Lot and his family leave, and the cities were in fact destroyed. And we think of them today, they're examples of God's judgment on a people who were wicked and unrighteous. Nineveh was headed that same direction. That was about to happen to them as well, but God relented this time, and he relented for a reason. Why did he relent? Because the people repented, because they turned from their evil ways. And that is the message as we look at Jonah chapter 3. We see here God's mercy and his relenting from a judgment that the people deserved. Right? Did they deserve destruction? Clearly, they did. Now, I don't know about you and me, but sometimes I think, when you, particularly when you read through the Old Testament, and we're looking at the story of Jonah, this happened almost 2,700 years ago, maybe a little bit more than 2,700 years ago. Does a story, an event that happened that far ago in history, that long ago in history, does that have any relevance to you and I today, to where we live today? That's what we're going to spend just the next few minutes looking at is that question. Does it have relevance to us? And if so, what is that relevance? Well, the first thing that we need to know is that God's message, the message that he sent Jonah to preach to Nineveh, is still God's message today. What was that message? Destruction is coming, right? I have found you to be wicked people, evil people in my judgment and destruction is coming. That message is still true today. We're going to look at a couple of verses that, that tell us this. If we can look at John chapter 3, this says, I thought, okay, let me read it from the screen because it's a little bit different. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. What's the fact there? God's judgment is already there, right? Because we rejected the light that he sent. Let's look at John um, 3.36. Do we have that? And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry Judgment. So remember I said the message was destruction. God's angry judgment is what we're under right now if we do not believe in his son. And we, we do not believe, then it says clearly we do not have eternal life. John 12:48 says, But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth that I have spoken. Romans 1:18 says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Romans 2, 5, and 6 says, But because you are a stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself, for a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed, and he will judge everyone according to what they have done. I'm going to have one more passage I want to read to you just to make this point that the message is still the same. And this is from the book of Revelation. And this is looking forward to the end of time, to the judgment day. And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it, the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. 
and the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and the death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. God's message that we have been judged and the condemnation, the sentence for our guilt is death, destruction. That message is the same today as it was 2,700 years ago as it was when Adam and Eve sinned before God. I want you to note something about the book of Jonah, and this really struck me. You know, what did Jonah not preach to the people? Probably two things that stand out that that we normally think of that he didn't preach. What didn't he preach? Love and forgiveness, that's that's part of it. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. He did not preach, okay, he did not preach repentance, which really strikes us because most of the prophets when they came, that's exactly what their message was. But you know what else he didn't preach? He didn't tell them what kind of sinners they were. There's no, it's not recorded at all that he went to the people to say, you do this and you do that and you shouldn't do this and and got all over them about what kind of sinners they were. Now that really struck me as pretty unique. One of the most wicked people in the world and he didn't go in and tell them how wicked they were. I don't know about you, but I, I find that no one needs to tell me how wicked I am. In truth, when I look at my own life, in my own heart, I don't need anybody to come tell me what a wicked, evil person I am. Because I know the sin in my own heart. I don't know your heart. I don't know any of you like I know myself. And I don't have to look at what I do on the outside to know what's in my heart. So when the message is, if you sin, you will die, which is what God said. If you sin, you will die. The message is, then, to me, when I hear that message, what does that say to me, to Danny Broyer? It says, I deserve death. God's judgment and God's decree. That's why in John, when we read those passages, God says that we already stand condemned under his judgment because we have already sinned. I can't even see most of you. I don't know most of you, unfortunately, at this point. I want to get to know you, but I bet this is true. What would, and you don't have to answer aloud, what would the verdict be if you stood before God now? And the question is, have you sinned? Have you not done my will in any way, in any one way? I don't have to hear an answer from anybody because I know what the answer is because the Bible says it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the condemnation for sin, the judgment that God gives for sin, is death. So we see that God's message is still the same. Destruction has been decreed. Another thing we see is that the response that God is seeking also has not changed. The response that he wanted from the people of Nineveh 2,700 years ago was for them to believe his message to repent and turn and come to him. And that's exactly what they did, and that's exactly what he wants you and I to do today. John 3.16 tells us, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his, own, his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. That's the response that God wants, for us to come to him and believe. I told you earlier, the people of Nineveh believed and they demonstrated that belief with repentance and faith. And that's the response, that's part of the, the idea of belief, the overall concept of belief. And we see that that's exactly what God wants us to do today. It's part of the message. We must repent. Jesus preached that men must repent. That's the first message that the scriptures record of him as having said, that men must repent, for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He told people over and over again, unless you repent, you will perish. Judgment is there. We're going to perish unless we repent. Paul also preached uh, in Acts chapter 17, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he has approved to everyone, excuse me, and he has proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. That man is Jesus Christ. And I think the point we need to stand, understand there is God commands everyone to repent of their sins. Remember, repent means turn away from living for yourself, doing what you want to do, and submitting yourself to God's will, to God as your sovereign thing. He also wants us to exercise faith, which is the other side, uh, the other part of the idea of belief. We'll look at just a couple of verses there in uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the Scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jews and Gentiles are all the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You remember what the people of Nineveh did? They repented. They put on the sackcloth and ashes. And then the passage tells us, that the king said, everyone, pray to God that we might be saved. Perhaps he will relent from this judgment that he has decreed upon us. Today, you and I only have two choices. We can choose to believe like the people of Nineveh believed, or we can choose unbelief. We can choose not to believe the message that we are judged and that destruction is coming. Now, I'm going to take just a moment to give you a couple of examples of that unbelief. The Scripture tells us that what we have in the Old Testament is there as an example for us. The children of Israel are probably the worst example of many of the things that God doesn't want us to do. We'll look at just a couple of those very quickly. In Isaiah chapter 22, uh, we see the, their response to the message, the same message that Jonah preached to Nineveh, Isaiah preached to the people uh, of Judah. And this was their response to that message. At that time, the Lord, the Lord of Heaven's armies called you to weep and mourn. He told you to share your heads, to shave your heads in sorrow for your sins and to wear clothes of burlap to show your remorse. But instead, you dance and play. You slaughter cattle and kill sheep. You feast on meat and drink wine. You say, 
Let us feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. How many of you have heard that phrase before? Let's eat, drink, and be merry. Right? That's the part of it we hear all the time, but the, there's an end to that. For tomorrow we die. They just chose to reject the message and not repent. Also, if you look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 12, we'll see the people's response to the prophet Jeremiah, who was 100 years later approximately than Isaiah. He came and he preached the same message that judgment was coming. This was their response. But the people replied to him, Don't waste your breath. We will continue to live as we want to, to stubbornly follow our own evil desires. Let me give you very quickly just a couple of, of um, uh, additional examples. In Jonah, one from Jonah. In Jonah chapter 2, in Jonah's prayer, I think we see the positive response that Jonah made there. Uh, this says, uh, As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their back on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Focus first. Excuse me. The verse I want to really focus on there is verse eight of uh, chapter two, and the NIV translates that verse: "Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace, forfeit. Excuse me, the grace that could be theirs." The idea here is that they were holding on to. When you hold on to the worthless idols, you cannot experience. God's mercy and God's grace. And this is the vision that I get in my mind. And it just it strikes me as just so, it just speaks to me at least. Jonah is sinking. He's been thrown off the ship. He's sinking. He has his worthless idols in his hands. What are those? Well, his belief in Judah, his special people, his unwillingness to do what God wanted him to do. Whatever it is, think of those worthless idols as weights, you know, 50-pound weights that he's got in both hands. As long as he's got those weights in his hands and he's in the water, what's happening to him? Sinking. Fast, right? What does he have to do to quit sinking? Let go, right? That's the whole idea. He has to let go of what he's holding on to so that God, who's right there reaching down to him, can grab a hold of him. As long as he holds on, he cannot be saved. That's the message of repentance. As long as we hold on to doing what we want to do, we're like Jonah. We're sinking. We're going faster and faster. God says, I'm right here. I'm reaching out to you. My hand is here. Let go. Turn. Turn to me. There's one other example I'll make real quickly. And this one uh, comes from, and it's the idea of a, it's a monkey trap. And I don't know that this is true. And I'm going to tell you this story because I've heard it so many times. I'm assuming it's true and it makes the point. It may not be true. They say that they can make a monkey trap by putting a piece of food inside of a jar, a glass jar. The monkey puts his hand into the jar, grabs the food, and he makes a fist around the food. He then can't get his hand out of the mouth of the jar. And no matter how hard he pulls, he can't get his hand out. What does he have to do to get out, to get away from the trap? Right? Let go, and his hand comes right out. But he won't let go, and he's caught. Because he wouldn't let go of what it was he was holding on to. That's the idea that the Scripture wants us to have concerning our sin. We hold on to something that's killing us. And we hold on to it stubbornly until it does, in fact, kill us. God says, let go. God's resp- well, three things that haven't changed. God's mes- message has not changed. 
The response that God is seeking from us has not changed. And finally, God's response, response to faith, also has not changed. He will grant us mercy, salvation to all those who will respond in faith, believing him, believing his word, repenting of their sins, calling out to him for mercy. That's what he calls us to do. I had to do that in my life. Everybody stands with those same two choices. We have to make that decision. Every day, I have to decide, am I going to follow my will or God's will? This, this, the message is God wants us right, to let go of doing what we want to do and to turn and follow him. How do we summarize this passage in, in one sentence we can do that? God wants us to know with absolute certainty that judgment is coming. He wants us to know that so that we will turn to him in repentance, call upon him, and receive his mercy and his forgiveness that he has given to us through Jesus Christ, his only son. Let's pray for him. Father, I thank you for this message from the life of Nineveh and Jonah from an event that happened 2,700 years ago. Father, I thank you that you are a God who wants to relent of the destruction that you have decreed for all of us who have turned away from you. Father, I pray for those who are here right now. Um, if there is anyone who has not entered into a relationship with you, Father, I pray that as they hear these words that you would open their hearts and minds so that they could believe. And Father, they could accept your message as true, turn from living for themselves, call upon you for your mercy and your grace. Jesus said, come unto me. Lord, may we do just that. I pray all this in Jesus' precious and holy name.